Hi, I'm Tim Zacharias with Cougar USA and your host of Building Value. We're on location today, downtown Houston in Pennzoil Place in this nice uh, spec suite here. I'm joined today by my good friend, Tyler Garrett, Senior Vice President of Transwestern. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, looking forward to it. Yep, really excited about today's episode. We're gonna be covering COVID's impact on the commercial office space market and Tyler's thoughts on how it's going to be affected moving forward. On Building Value, we go behind the scenes at some of the most iconic buildings in Texas to showcase the incredible people that design, build, and maintain them and their impact on the community. Let's talk a little bit, uh, talk a little bit about where you grew up. Uh, so here in Houston, uh, west side of town, went to Stratford High School. Um, so you know, energy corridor as uh, office broker would say, um, and then uh, went to A&M right down the road. So pretty close. Yeah, and then, you know, after A&M, how did you get into commercial real estate here in Houston? I had a idea that's what I wanted to do while I was in college. So uh, I was a finance major, but, um, you know, took quite a few real estate focused business classes. So, um, then just tried to make connections once I made it back to Houston uh, and got into the brokerage business on the tenor rep side. And so how did you end up at, at TransWestern and, and what is it that you're doing now for the company? So in 2010, I uh, transferred from tenant representation to landlord representation with 811 Main right over here with Heinz. Uh, so I was an in-house leasing agent for them for two years. And then uh, from there, I moved to Skanska, another uh, development firm here, uh, and was involved in in-house leasing with that shop. And then in, I guess, early 2016, I was approached by Transwestern. Uh, they had a spot they needed to fill. And it was on you know, a great team within Transwestern, so it was, it was a pretty easy call for me to move from in-house leasing role to a third-party landlord rep broker. Okay, and you know, I feel like most people probably understand what is it you're doing, but if you can maybe just explain. Yeah, a so bit. basically, we represent uh, mostly institutional owners of Class A office space, and it's not geographic specific. It's kind of all over Houston. So there's uh, you know submarkets uh, that we work in are downtown, Interloop, Galleria, Energy Corridor. Uh, the woodlands uh, and kind of in between there as well. So uh, we're kind of all over the city representing, I'd call it probably a dozen different owners. Okay, nice. And the, you know, this is not the typical uh, background for me for doing one of these podcasts. So uh, nice to, you know, get out a little bit, see some new, uh, actually see the inside of an office building, yeah. usually hanging out uh, in the basement. So what, what is this space uh, that we're in now? So we're at Pennzoil Place. This is the South Tower, uh, which is 711 Louisiana. Uh, this is the 11th floor spec suite that we built out. Um, so we took about half of a floor, so it's roughly 10,800 feet, and totally gutted it and redid the space. Um, and it's basically move-in ready. So we've got you know, some private offices on one side, open plan behind us, um, exposed ceiling behind us, so some kind of new modern effects. Uh, that kind of really accentuate some of the attributes of this building, like the floor to ceiling glass you see. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a really sweet space. Yeah. So, you know, so I guess kind of along those lines, what is it um, about Transwestern or, or what y'all are doing that's maybe different from um, other reps out there? 
So, you know, it's first and foremost starts with the people on your team, obviously. Um, so we've got, you know, probably the strongest leasing team uh, in Houston right now, um, led by my partner, Eric Anderson. And we've got uh, some younger uh, people on our team, Parker Burkett and Katie Gregg, that uh, work with us in all these different assets. And so we've got kind of differing age levels, differing relationships. Um, and then, you know, obviously uh, really good product as well. So we basically see every single deal that comes across any major submarket in Houston. So um, from that standpoint, you know, we're well educated on the market and it lets us inform landlords, our clients, uh, you know, what kind of decision make, decisions they need to make uh, when reviewing deals. Nice. And so how many deals have you seen coming across over the last six months or so with everything that's been going on with COVID? Yeah. Is that had an immediate impact on it has on the market. Uh, there there's been you know surprisingly not as many deals die because of it a lot of deals still got done maybe they were shorter term or smaller um, and then a lot of the deals that were in process when it hit back in February March still got done I think uh, you know as we progress through this time it's kind of becoming more apparent uh, you know, what the risks are for companies and, you know, can they go ahead and make a long-term real estate decision? We're seeing a lot more tenants come to the table now. So I think there's a, uh, I wouldn't, comfort is probably the wrong word, but there's a, there's a comfort level within the decision-making process that, you know, I can make a long-term decision right now. Uh, but, you know, between February and now, it has been pretty slow, a lot of, uh, kind of what we would call kick the can uh, type deals mm -hmm. where people are just doing band-aid extensions, that sort of thing. Yeah, and I, you know, I think people know obviously a lot more now than you know, March, April um, of what was going on with COVID in general and, and being able to kind of make decisions based on that. But you know, we've had, and I think a lot of people have made the decision to send people home, do work from home in that time period. And you know, for us, it worked in the interim, but wasn't necessarily something I think that we're going to continue for the long mm -hmm. term. How much has that come up in conversation? Yeah, I mean, you're, so you're seeing home? some tenants, uh, and it's starting to, we're starting to hear this more recently, uh, taking possibly a more of a hub and spoke approach to their office space. So, you know, keeping an office, you know, in an urban core like a downtown here or a gallery or something like that, and then maybe having a few satellite offices closer to where people live. Um, it really depends on the type of work you do. Um, there's plenty of jobs that working from home just is not conducive to good product and good results. Uh, but then, you know, what we're hearing consistently is accounting groups love, love it right now being home. So I think there are going to be some job functions that are a little more uh, easily done from home. Um, but, you know, you can't discount the company culture um, and, you know, the teamwork, the you know, personal relationships you, you gain, you can't do that over Zoom. No. Um, and I heard it last week, but it's a really good phrase for all of this. You know, what work from home allows you to do as a company is play defense. You can't really play offense. You can't go out and uh, really try and pick up new business without being engaged and being in the office. No, it's a great way to look at it. And, you know, what we noticed something similar, you know, with the culture and, and things like that, but the 
kind of the accidental collaboration that happens mm -hmm. when you're in the same space, walking past each other in the hallways. Right. You just don't, you can't accidentally bump into somebody on Zoom and, and recreate that. Yeah, like in our office, you know, we sit all right next to each other and while we're in private offices, we hear conversations through the sheetrock next to us that, you know, inform you of something that you might not have otherwise known. Um, and that person next door didn't have to come tell it to you. It's just, we're all there in that environment. Right. So our business is very much kind of knowledge by osmosis. And, um, you know, I think there's certain businesses that are, are similar to that. And that's only allowed to continue through the office uh, workplace. Absolutely. And, you know, I think there's also been some studies uh, around the effect, like generally how effective people are working from home. I mean, some, like you said, the accountants and others may get in and dig in and work better from home, uh, but a lot may not. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was talk I've talked talk to a few brokers about this. You know, obviously, you know, we have young kids and working from home is challenging, especially when the kids were out of school. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. And there were points in time where you literally are speeding to get something done because you know you're you know being distracted or you have to be somewhere with kids you have to help out you know at the house and there was you know periods of time where you know you're you're not comprehending what you should be comprehending in an email and uh, just trying to get it off your plate and so that that was something that I've heard consistently from other brokers that it was just a very challenging time that you know late spring when when school was out of sessions for people with young kids <laughs> yeah I'd, I'm very glad that the kids are yeah. back in school yeah and that I'm back at the office yeah so have you noticed um, a, like a difference in what tenants are looking for in, in office space so we haven't really noticed much in the way of physical changes to their space. There's definitely companies that uh, may be planned very densely that are considering, you know, trying to spread people out a little bit and therefore take more space. Um, but the actual programming changes of the actual interior office space hasn't really changed yet. I think it's still kind of early on that side of things. But what we do see is, you know, requests for more flexibility. So. Um, whether that be, you know, contraction, uh, termination rights, um, you know, downtown, one of the big items is parking. So uh, a lot of tenants are asking for what we call up to parking rather than must take parking. So uh, they only need to pay for it if they're using it. Um, so pieces of uh, the deal kind of like that, um, but it's still pretty early when it comes to physical changes to the office space coming out of this. Yeah, we, you know, I think a lot of people did the you know kind of put the plexiglass up yeah you know, maybe split up people that were sharing space um, but it's going to be interesting to see longer term how that's going to change you know the layout of a space like this yeah yeah for sure and you know the other thing in downtown skyscrapers you have to deal with is vertical transportation and so you know what is the protocol coming out of this as far as how many people can be in an elevator um, you know a lot of these taller buildings in downtown you know people would shove in pretty tightly and <laughs> right now depending on the building you're in it's either two or four max per cab uh, and it also depends on the size of your cabs obviously but uh, that's that's going to be an issue just because the level of service the vertical transportation service is not designed for that so sure. uh, if we do get back to full capacity and then on top of that there's different guidelines uh, that's going to be you know more of a nuisance uh, coming to the office <laughs> so 
I guess the kind of the popular configuration of office space in a lot of ways has been what we have behind us, the, the open concept like that. Uh, do you have some, you know, some actual offices on the other side, but you know, how do you see the, the actual tenant space changing uh, going forward? So I would say some of the more kind of progressive build outs included uh, kind of a work-based strategy component where you might have a private office one day, you might go to open plan the next, so you never had a static workspace. And so these types of spaces had clean desk policies where you pack up everything at the end of each day, maybe put it in a locker. That I think is gonna be challenged moving forward because I just don't know how many employees are gonna be comfortable kind of sharing moving space, around yeah. and sharing workspaces that you know somebody else was at the day before. Um, you know, if, the, if you do continue that, it's obviously gonna take a pretty robust, I think, cleaning each night. Um, coming out of this, but um, you know, I think for the most part, open plan is probably still going to work as long as it's not too dense. If it's benching and you're four feet from somebody, that might not be the best. But if you've got eight by eight cubes that you know have a decent uh, height around them, I, I just don't see that changing for the open plan concept. And obviously, I don't think private offices are going away, and I don't think uh, they're going to be that impacted by this. Right. Yeah. And you know, we we've, we've talked a lot on. Uh, the podcast about ways that you know you can improve the you know air quality and other things in the yeah. space. So I think you know the more that we're learning about that, the more buildings have time to react and, and add that filtration UV. That that's going to be a safe. Yeah, way and I to could. Um, I mean, I could envision newer products coming out on the UV front that would uh, be pretty impactful for this and make people feel safe about being in buildings. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there there's there's a few already available that um, you know that that people can do and. Um, you know, we've made some upgrades at our office, different, you know, air filters and things like that. But, you know, ultimately, I guess it always comes back to the, uh, you know, the individual responsibility, you know, yeah. making sure you're coming in, not coming in when you should be. Right. Kind of thing, and so. one thing we've seen, uh, you know, in talking to clients around the country uh, that are in different markets, you know, Houston obviously needs a pretty robust HVAC system uh, as a base building design compared to other markets. And so some of these markets are, it's becoming more normal to increase that MERV rating on your air filters. Mm -hmm. But, you know, all these designs in Houston for the base building HVAC are designed, uh, you know, kind of at their peak. And if you start limiting the airflow through a filter, it can have pretty drastic effects in a building in the summer in Houston. So absolutely, that's that's something where I think our city is a little more sensitive to some of those kind of easy measures that might happen elsewhere. Yeah, and they're they're definitely they're limited by the the tracks that are in there on the size filter you can get into mm -hmm. the air handlers and things like that. So it's yeah, it's definitely a challenge to uh, to make changes to the existing yeah. systems. But there's definitely ways that it, it can be done and, and it be a safe working environment yeah. um, in, in kind of this open concept. So, you know, if, if the, you know, there's been a lot of major companies out there, a lot of them in the tech industry saying, you know, we're going to be, you can have the option to work from home indefinitely. And I don't, I don't really see that being an across the board situation, but maybe a lot of companies will say, okay, maybe you can work from home one day a week, two days a week. How's that going to change? the way you would lay out an office space. Well, it kind of gets back to that same thing where ideally as a company, if you know this employee's only gonna be here 80% of the time, you're gonna use his space the other 20% of the time for somebody else and create a system where you uh, ma maximize your efficiency. With the shared work workspace uh, hesitancies, I guess, that, that seems a little more difficult to implement. And so I just foresee 
office populations being a little bit lighter, but still pretty much the same space. Gensler came out with a study uh, where the overall effects of what's gone on are pretty, pretty negligible just because some tents are going to need to take more space to spread out. Some are probably going to take less because a component of their office can work from home. Uh, but I think they said, you know, it's probably in the 2% range as far as the change in space needs. Oh, wow. Yeah. Would have thought it would have been a lot different than that. No, no. I mean, it's, you've also got, you know, work from home three years from now, let's say, is going to be a lot different than work from home during COVID-19. So <laughs> you've yes. got some pent up frustrations regarding the whole work from home thing. So I think you're going to see you know, initially once things more normalized, you're going to see people kind of come back in droves and then maybe there's going to be uh, kind of a, a new normal at that point after that point. You know, so with Cougar, we came back to the office pretty recently, actually. We had some employees that were, that never left, um, you know, in the warehouse and, and production and things like that. But a lot of our office employees, you know, we tried to keep them away from the office, limit the exposure like everybody else. Um, but over the last, you know, three to four weeks, we've really rolled everybody back into the office, and it's been nice to have everybody back and, you know, kind of get that culture and feel back. What, wh how, when did y'all, I mean, I imagine it's tough for you to do this remotely. So when, when did you get back into the office, and how was that transition for y'all? Yeah, so I think it was probably second week of May when I started going back in. Luckily, so we office at a small office in the Galleria away from our corporate office, um, where we have called five brokers and a few uh, admins um, and so for the most part the team kind of started coming back mid-May uh, and into June and it wasn't you know mandated by any means but like you said it's very difficult to do what we do from home so uh, I think everybody was you know welcoming to get back in the office um, so we've been back in earnest since mid-May uh, our staff has been, you know, a little bit staged, so we'd have people come in one day, maybe not the next two, and vice versa. But uh, we've been back since then, and it's been, you know, great because uh, there were so many frustrations uh, dealing with uh, different different teams, different calls, different clients, different brokers, um, and it just it, it wasn't conducive at home. So uh, it's been great being back in the office. Yeah, sure. So when you're kind of looking out to that timeline two, three years from now, or even sooner, what, what are you seeing kind of as a market outlook for, for Houston for office space? So it's, it's going to be challenging because, uh, you know, prior to COVID, we were in a challenging spot and had been for five years. And so really what COVID did was really rip the Band-Aid off for a lot of the oil and gas companies that, um, you know, were, had capital calls basically coming in 2020. Um, so we've seen a lot of increase in bankruptcies, which, you know, prior to that, when the oil prices fell in late 14, what we saw was a massive sublease space coming to the market. Well, sublease is a tenant's problem, whereas, you know, a bankruptcy turns into a landlord's problem if they reject their lease. That's direct vacancy coming back. So we're going to be in a, a challenging time uh, for the for foreseeable future. but. Uh, you know, Houston needs to attract new industries. Uh, oil and gas is obviously changing. Um, you know, the Wall Street folks and investors aren't aren't willing to put the capital in. They don't see the long term uh, the long term investment gain there. So, I think Houston can 
attract some new industries. A big component of that right now is life science. That's a big focus. You've got the innovation district down here with Rice that's uh, trying to be an incubator for some of these types of users. You've also got the fact that we're the fourth largest city in the country without, you know, with very little social unrest compared to some for what we've seen in some of the other cities. Um, you've got a very pro-business climate. You've got 100,000 people moving here every year. So there's a lot of good things. Uh, you've got low cost of living, relatively speaking to other markets. You've got you know educated, uh, available workforce. So I think the components are there. We just need to kind of reimagine uh, what drives the city because I, I foresee in the future oil and gas is going to be a smaller component of that. And, and I think it has been, you know, over the years, it's becoming a uh, smaller, smaller part mm -hmm. of the overall economy of Houston. Yeah. Healthcare, like yeah. Houston, is a massive part. Unfortunately, both of those have taken a hit uh, during COVID, so that's an extra challenge mm -hmm. um, for Houston. But, you know, one of the, um, and I forget who, who it was, uh, but one of the economists was basically saying that Houston is one of the best positioned cities in the world to kind of come out of the situation that we're in. Yeah, and I remember that uh, that presentation. Uh, it was a guy out of Denver, uh, but yeah, and that it has to do with you know the Sun Belt movement. Texas is basically the most well-positioned state of all the states for that uh, because you've got the border with Mexico, you've got the port of Houston. Uh, so there's there's a lot of ingredients there for you know a big comeback, um, but right now it's it's a struggle, and I think it will be for you know at least the short term. So what what would your advice be to any you know building owners that are looking to get their space leased out? What would be some things that they could do uh, in in this climate? Yeah, so I would say uh, you know one like for this space we have a digital marketing tool where we've uh, shot you know pictures all over the space and you can digitally walk around it on your computer so a decision maker in another market that might be in charge of the real estate decision doesn't have to fly to Houston to come tour the space they can do it on their computer so that's important um, and then you know understanding your goals as a landlord do you really need to fill the space right away or would you rather hold out for a better deal so each landlord's different but for the most part uh, you know there's going to be spaces in downtown and Houston that remain vacant for years and years and so you have to determine you know where's your threshold and you know where can you make a deal because the deals are pretty few and far between um, and that's going to be the case at least in the near term but you know moving into next year the market's not there's there's so much vacancy that the market's not going to uh, react with increasing rates or you know more landlord favorable terms it's going to be a while before that happens so if this is a tenants market like you said what what kind of leverage does that give them or what what maybe would be things they could take advantage of right now a longer term or better rate yeah so you know first and foremost it's likely a chance to upgrade buildings if you've got a b tenant in a or a tenant in a B building, uh, you know, it could be a good opportunity for them to jump to an A building because they are going to get, uh, you know, historically pretty good pricing right now. Um, and I think you'll see some tenants uh, that are, you know, kind of more of the probably bolder tenants jump into a long-term deal here soon just because uh, the chances that the market goes that much deeper are pretty low. And it's not because of the, the fundamentals in the market, the supply and demand. It's more for a while now, uh, tenants have shown 
even in down times, they're willing to pay more for the real estate to be in higher quality product. And so uh, your subset of supply is somewhat smaller than the overall market because a lot of that supply is irrelevant uh, in buildings that would be considered purely commodity. So uh, for a tenant to jump in to a longer term deal now in a nicer building, uh, they're going to be getting you know most pick of the best spaces uh, while also getting uh, you know very favorable economics. Yeah, it's that's an interesting thought to kind of use this as an opportunity to upgrade yeah. uh, and and get that better deal. So I mean, you talk about that A space. I mean, not being necessarily a commodity. How often is that coming available or, or kind of turning over? I mean, are they typically in longer term release leases already? Yeah, so there's a lot of it available right now. A lot of it's been caused by bankruptcy. So a lot of those energy companies uh, were in nice space. So um, it's out there um, and it's it's not like it's uh, hard to find. But I think, you know, as you move on, as tenants get more comfortable and you see more making that decision to go long term, lock into nice space, that supply starts to shrink a little bit. Um, so. I think you know it's obviously a good time to be a tenant, but you know they're going to need to make decisions that are pretty forward-thinking in order to get themselves comfortable uh, with doing something long-term. I mean, if you're a tenant and you're worried about well, how much space do I need? Well, you know, landlords uh, you know like long-term deals, and so if you can commit to a longer term, you're more likely to get that flexibility that you need uh, to kind of help ease your concerns on that front. Yeah, and you know, I, I think there was initially a lot of talk about, well, and I think New York had this, where there's just this exodus from the city that they're not gonna be people doing this, not gonna be renewing yeah. leases, are not gonna be, but that doesn't seem to be the case for Houston. I mean, I know it might be a struggle for the next few years, like you said, but I think the kind of commercial office space, uh, commercial real estate industry is not going anywhere yeah. anytime soon in Houston. Yeah, and it's a different market there in, in most cities where it's so served by mass transit that adds another component that makes it very difficult. Whereas in Houston, most people are driving to work. Um, so we're kind of better positioned from that front, even though it sounds ridiculous to say, uh, you know, after COVID than uh, most other cities that had implemented mass transit, you know, decades ago. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't, wouldn't have thought that yeah. would have uh, ultimately been a potentially a benefit, I guess. but. I mean, there's there's still a little bit of mass transit here, but not yeah. So not I mean, as, not and really, it's long. downtown. I mean, downtown. Yeah. I think it's forty five percent of the employees take mass transit, meaning the bus. So uh, now we have a few rail lines as well, obviously. But um, downtown has historically been the only submarket that has been served by mass transit. Interesting. And so, how, is there going to be any impact? Do you think on? Kind of the tunnels or the ancillary uh, kind of economy that's associated with downtown with everything that's been going on? I mean, I think the tunnels are, it's going to be a challenge because I think there's going to be reluctance to travel downtown in the tunnel system because there are areas of the tunnel that can get pretty confined. And if you have a lot of traffic there, that's, you know, a lot of people you haven't been around that are passing you uh, sharing the same space. So uh, that's going to be a challenge. I think you'll see street level retail probably perform well. You'll see, you know, probably a lot more outdoor patios come from street level retail. So that'll be good for downtown because, you know, as a somebody that doesn't live in Houston, when they come to downtown, 
you know, they're pretty floored by the fact that there's not many people walking around in the streets. There's not much retail. So uh, I think that would help our downtown uh, immensely if we could get more retail up onto the street level. And then you have, uh, you know, a lot more residents downtown now than mm -hmm. you did a decade ago. So, you know, those residents need retail locations to go, uh, you know, do business, to go out. And so, uh, you know, from that side of things, you know, they can't go into the tunnel after 5 p.m. Right. So, uh, and most people are still at work at 5, so by the time they get home here, there's not much open. So having that street-level retail presence, I think, would be great. I would have loved that when I lived downtown. Yeah. lived at the Rice. Um, 2007 um, at the Rice Lofts, and literally, like you said, five o'clock, everything was yeah, you've got closed. You had flying <laughs> saucer, and that's probably about it. Yeah, Frank's Pizza. Yeah, we, we yeah. ate a lot of Frank's Pizza. I mean, you had to leave downtown to go get yeah. groceries. I mean, it's not the case now, but uh, like you said, there's some new things added, and hopefully, like you said, it does. Uh, we do see some growth in, in the street level. Yeah. So it's happened up and down Maine yep. uh, a little bit over there, but. Uh, Definitely a weird feeling to walk around downtown in the evenings back then and yeah. not see anything. Yeah. Well, Tyler, really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Really enjoyed the conversation, and it's nice to be able to get a longtime friend on the show. Tyler and I go, Tyler and I go way back now, almost 20 years, yeah. so always great to have uh, a good friend on the show. Well, thank you, uh, and glad we were able to finally get it done. It's been an interesting <laughs> year, so... Uh, very interesting topics, obviously, but uh, thanks for coming downtown, and uh, it was it was a pleasure. Yeah, appreciate you hosting us in this great space. Um, I, you know, after seeing this, really want to upgrade uh, Cougar <laughs> space. Don't know if we can uh, quite afford to move downtown, but hey, love love to be here. So, also want to thank you all for watching today, and hope to see you on the next episode of Building Value.